0: Really privileged today to have a guest as our speaker with World Hope International, um, Phil Smart. Phil, Phil Smart stopped by about, uh, I guess, about two, two months ago. Yeah. Uh, we had lunch with him, uh, uh, pa- or coffee, with Pastor Damien and I and several others had, and Kent Peterson, our director of missions, had uh, coffee with him just to get acquainted. It was just an incredible time to just get to know him and uh, we're just delighted that i'd like us to uh, extend a warm eau claire wesleyan church welcome to phil smart
1: thank you man thank you very much appreciate it. well good morning it is good to be here um, uh, to eau claire's first time for me except for the other time with coffee and uh, just to share with you all i know this church has a fantastic tradition and a passion for mission. So I'm here this morning to affirm what you've done in the past. I've heard in Nicaragua, Uganda, Cambodia, and other places. To challenge you to continue and to share a little bit about World Hope. World Hope's the Wesleyan partner for this compassion ministry, this holistic ministry where we see God working in deeds as well as in words. So I'm here to share a little bit about that and to maybe remind us why we do what we do. But um, so I am glad to be here. I was a, I've been a pastor in a few churches. I was a missionary in Brazil for ten years. I worked in international business for a few years as well. So I have a little bit of background. But through all of that, the thread for me has been to share God's love with those maybe that are at least at least uh, fortunate and more in need. So that's what we're going to do this morning. You know, it became real clear to me why I represent World Hope, and I've been with them now just for two years. But it became clear just a few months ago. Um, I was on my way to San Diego because my job is to go and speak in churches and meet with people like you and encourage them to share with uh, World Hope. And, and I was on my way to San Diego to speak in a church there and do that. And I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, just across the, the pond from you all. And uh, I have to go through Chicago wherever I travel. Everywhere I go, I go through Chicago. So I left Grand Rapids and I've flown to Chicago. And I was there getting ready to board the plane for San Diego. And if you travel a lot, you know what they do before anyone gets on the plane they first say anybody with children right disabled or if you're a military veteran or if you have your uniform on and I think that's great my own my oldest son's in the Air Force and so I support the military 100% I think that's a great thing well two soldiers in uniform were there and they got on first and uh, that was fine and I followed later and, and sat just a couple rows behind them on the plane but I noticed something different all the way to San Diego it seemed like they were getting more attention than normal. The, the pilot came out of the cockpit and talked to them a while and shook their hands, and uh, the flight attendants were giving them extra drinks and food and things. And I thought that was a little odd because I hadn't seen that before. Now, again, that's fine. I want, that's a way we can honor and remember and share in the, the support for our military, but I just thought it was a little odd. Well, we got to San Diego, and we were, we were pulling up to the gate bridge, taxing to the gate, And the pilot stopped just short of the bridge, and he came on the intercom and says, Ladies and gentlemen, please remain seated because we want to honor a fallen hero. And they opened up the door and let the stairs actually down to the tarmac. And we looked out the window, and there was a hearse and about 20 soldiers at attention there. And later we found out that these were part of the family of the man who had died in service. And so the plane, you know, we clapped, and there were some tears and things. And they got out and walked down the stairs, and then... They brought the stairs back up, and we taxied the last few feet to the, to the gateway, and we got off. Well, I was on my way to get my baggage, and I was just reflecting about this experience. I was saying, that was, that was nice. That's something we should have done. You know, he was honored. He was revered. He was remembered. He was seen for his sacrifice. And then I, as I continued walking, I started thinking, well, why was I in San Diego? And I was here to represent these kids who are hungry, who are dying, who aren't remembered, who are forgotten who are kind of invisible and so that's why i'm here today to remind us of these people who maybe we don't see we don't honor we don't think of Um, so we're going to look this morning a little bit about the signs in the bible that remind us why we do what we do and sometimes they're subtle signs now i'm i've been around a few years And so I remember growing up, the time I grew up, there was a song that was kind of popular. It went, signs, signs, everywhere are signs, blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that, can't you see the signs? Any of you remember that? Yeah, okay, there's a few ex-hippies out there then, okay. So, well, in that time, signs were kind of perceived as uh, authoritarian, and we didn't like them. But in reality, signs can give us direction. They can tell us what's truth. You know, Webster says signs, uh, he says signs are something that shows us what is true. They give signs. So we're going to look at a few of these kind of subtle signs in the Bible that can direct us and remind us why we as a church do what we do when we look at missions and things like that. Um, So to get us in that uh, framework a little bit and mindset, take a look at, uh, oh, by the way, before I go on, I do want to thank Kent and... uh, and Hannah for their hospitality. I got to stay with them last night. And they were wonderful and very hospitable. So thank you guys very much for that. So let's take a few uh, look here at some of these signs and see if we can see some symbols or some subtle reasons why. You're all familiar with FedEx, right? But how many people haven't seen the little arrow that's made between the E and the X in the white? You see that there? Kind of a subtle sign that remind us with FedEx, things can get there quickly, right? Maybe we don't see that, but it's a subtle sign. Look at this next one. Everybody knows Amazon, and you can get everything from A to Z. And see, they remind us subtly that you can get everything from A to Z in Amazon. What about this next one? I grew up with Baskin and Robbins. I don't even know if you have that in Wisconsin, do you? It's an ice cream chain. They were the first ice cream chain to offer lots of flavors. And today they still remind us subtly because they begin with how many flavors? Yeah, and they remind us through their signage. And this last one, this is my favorite here. Because especially at the Super Bowl time and during basketball, they want to remind us that Tostitos is is a party. And the T's really aren't T's, are they? They're two little men holding a chip, dipping it into salsa, the top of the eye. Kind of reminding us that if we buy Tostitos, it's going to be a party. It's going to be a fiesta. So those are just kind of some subtle signs we see daily. There's also signs in the Bible, and so we're going to take a kind of look at those. Uh, Signs that tell us why we should care about those people over there. Why we should care about and approach those that are in poverty, living in different countries with different languages, different cultures. Those who are hurting, ridden with disease. Those who are hungry. Those who are marginalized. Those who God calls that the kingdom of heaven is theirs and we're to be bringing the kingdom of heaven to them this holistic this compassionate type of servitude the aspects that we see in the bible so let me throw just three quick ideas out there the first one is found when god calls abraham to be the father of this nation and probably people that come to the first service you, you all are you know your bible you know your bible studies uh stories When God called Abraham to be the father of this nation, create a a people that would represent him, he said, I will make you the father of a nation, and your descendants will be as numerous as what? Sands of the seashores and the stars in the skies. But if you go on along in that chapter in Genesis, it's Genesis 26 and 12, or Genesis 12 first, he says, I'm doing this so that you will be a blessing to all the nations and that all the nations will be blessed through you. So he's telling Abraham, I'm creating you. I'm making this group of people to represent me so that, not so you'll just be like loving on yourselves and be like insular, but so that you'll be a blessing to all the nations. And then he makes that same promise. He re- repeats it to Isaac, then he repeats it to Jacob. And all through the Old Testament, we see God sharing that I've created this body of people to be a blessing to the nations. But then you might say, well, that's the Old Testament. We're New Testament folk here. So what does he say? God says in Acts 3 and in Galatians 3, 18, that now we, you and I, after Jesus, we are heirs to Abraham's promises, and we are to be a blessing to the nations. So I think a first sign we see throughout the Bible is that we are supposed to be this blessing, that the nations should be blessed through us. So that kind of helps us and reminds us that we're to be concerned about people that are hurting people around the world. Secondly, there's signs that point that we need to be countercultural, And I think this isn't necessarily the idea of countercultural we think of today. But in the Bible times, people were tribal. And that means they believed in their family, their tribe, and that was it. Everybody else was an enemy. You didn't look beyond your tribe. But all through the Bible, again, we see God interjecting, interjecting stories or instructions that force them to go beyond their tribe. We're supposed to think beyond those that we love and we hold dear. We're supposed to go over to those hurting children, wherever they are. Think of Jonah, think of Rahab, think of Rahab the pro- or, um, Ruth, a foreigner. We see God using these examples in the Bible. And in the New Testament... Who do we see Jesus talking to and relating to? People outside his tribe, such as Samaritans, the lepers. Uh, He went across the lake to go to those Gentiles. Then he gives instructions after his death and resurrection for Philip to witness to an Ethiopian eunuch, a person from a different country, different color, different ethnicity, different language. And he was a eunuch. He couldn't even worship in the synagogue. But they still didn't get it. They kind of still wanted to stay in their tribes, so God had to give Peter a vision on the rooftop. Do you remember that story? And he was instructed to go witness to a Cornelius, who was a foreigner. And so we have these pictures again, a second subtle sign in the Bible that we're supposed to be concerned about those people outside of our group. And lastly, we have Jesus' own words and we find those the first one in Luke 4:18. I want to read this because this was when you know we just got through this political season where people talked about their platforms and usually when there's a politician and he begins his uh, his run for office he shares his platform what he stands for what he believes in and Luke 4:18, this is kinda of the first time we see Jesus actually come forward and say what he's here for he goes to the synagogue and it's recorded in Luke 4 verses 18, and he stands up and says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's kind of his platform. He's saying, this is what I came to do and we are followers of Jesus, so we should assume that same, same posture. And then, of course, we have famous passage in Matthew 25 where the disciples and his followers kind of come to him and say Jesus what uh, you know what do we need to do to get to heaven how can we be with you how can we be part of your your group and so he has a story and he he uses a metaphor of sheep and goats and he says when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit on his glorious throne And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from the other. as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. These are the ones that he gives his approval to. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me i was sick and you looked after me i was in prison and you came to visit me and then they'll ask him but we didn't see you in those situations lord and he says whatever you did for the least of these you've done to me so this third sign we kind of see in the bible is Jesus' own words to us these are subtle signs we see and signs that show us how we need to relate to In this global world we live in, this interconnected world, it's not the world of 100 years ago, is it? It's a new world. And This shows how we should. Now, I believe that World Hope and probably your church here align with these visions in four specific ways. These are four things World Hope does to fulfill these messages. And I think these are four things that the local church does as well. And you probably do these, Pastor Mark. First of all, we give hope. Give hope to people. Now we do this through clean water, through wells, through latrines, through sanitation, help revitalize communities. Secondly, we make communities stronger and healthier. We eliminate hunger. we produce food security, cattle, goats, agriculture. Thirdly, we in a church, I think, we provide education and training to help the communities out. We build schools and sponsor children, train health workers, provide teacher training. And lastly, we provide restoration of lives. We bring back dignity to people to victims who've been sex trafficked who've been hurt who've been abused so these are what you do through your support of world hope this is what you do through your missions this is what you probably do as a local church as well so this is all good but there's another component in the bible we see too and it's maybe somewhat harder to justify but and that's about the word justice you know we see justice reigned from the beginning of the Bible to the end of ju- to the end of the Bible and we need to be about justice um and let me illustrate this uh through an experience that I had just recently uh talking with uh, Kent last night we talked about running and he had heard that I had ran a marathon Chicago marathon and uh Oh, just not too long ago a couple years ago my son I have a middle son who lives in Chicago and he's one of these kids that uh, he he ran cross-country in high school and inter in college he swam the 500 meter and so he had this great athletic ability and long distance well he worked at a company called Career Builder in Chicago and there the company said we want our our employees to run the Chicago marathon and raise money For a charity called Chicago Youth Centers and so my son was in it he says I'm gonna do that I'll I'll do that well my wife and I had driven over to Chicago to visit him we try to get over there as often as we can and we were talking with him we spent the day with him took him out for lunch and right when we were getting ready to leave he says dad I have a great idea why don't you run the Chicago Marathon with me and I go well son that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard you say What did your mom and dad, you know, raise you to be, a complete idiot? I can't run. I've never done that. And Well, he looked kind of sad, but that was it. And then we went on to some other things, and we prepared to leave, and we left. You know, I'm 57, or I was at that time, and I'd never run. I was a musician, and so it was just a stupid idea. Well, we got in the car, and we were driving back three and a half hours to Grand Rapids. And during that drive, God began to speak to me, like he does to a lot of us men through our wives (laughs) so after about an hour on the road my wife says you know Phil that was kinda mean what you said to your to our son and and I go "Well, no there's no way I could do that that was a stupid idea And she says, well you know Phil you've been saying lately you really want to get in shape this would be a great opportunity hmm about a half an hour later down the road my wife says you know Phil you've been saying you want to spend more time with your son in Chicago this would be a great opportunity You go, hmm. About another half an hour down the road, she says, you know, Phil, you've been talking about you want to help support another charity in addition to what you're doing at the church. This would be a great opportunity. (laughs) I said, okay, Lord, you got me. So I got home, and I said, okay, what do I do here? And I didn't know what I was doing, but I thought I better start running. So every night after work, I'd come home, and I'd just start running a little bit more, a little bit more. And it hurt, and I was tired and out of shape, and I had no clue what I was doing. But I did that for about a month. And I remember one day, I had run eight miles, and I came home and I thought I was going to die. I said, Lord, you know, you can just take me now because I can't do this. There's no way I can run this marathon. I'm going to just quit. And this is what I looked like. (laughs) That was it. Well, then I began thinking, I live in the greatest country in the world. I live in America. I have all the resources I can. So I said, I need to take advantage of the resources. So I began talking to people. I went to the library and checked out books on running. I talked to some coaches. I went to the school and talked to their running course coaches. I got resources. I went to a physical therapist and learned the right exercises I should do. I got a very expensive pair of shoes and a second very, very expensive pair of shoes. I got compression socks and knee braces and crutches to help me walk the way I should walk. I started guzzling ibuprofen every day. I went to the gym and trained on treadmills. I had family support and encouragement. And because of those resources I was able to finish the Chicago Marathon in under five hours show show it what it looks like yeah there we are but it made me think why should I have all the resources in the world to do something just kind of fun like that at age 57 when there are people around the world that don't even have food on their table that don't have the resources to go to school or who are abused and victims. You know, I thought about Micah 6.8, where the Bible says, I've shown you what is good and what is required of you to do what is right, to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Now, imagine Sriroth. She's a 13-year-old living in a small village in Cambodia. Her uncle lives next door to her and rapes her. Her family's embarrassed. They lose face in that culture, and they send her out of the house. With nowhere to go, she goes to Phnom Penh, the capital. There on the streets, there are no YMCAs. There are no shelters. There are no food stamps. There are no food banks. There are no soup kitchens. There are no social nets and social services to rescue her. If she gets sick, she has no access to physical therapists, no doctors, no medication to help her when she needs it. With barely anything to wear, there's no thrift stores available, no clothes banks available, and pretty much no one who cares, and she's hungry. Only brothel workers will take her in, where she has to service up to 12, 14 clients a day. So where's the justice the Bible speaks of when someone like myself can run a marathon? But a 13-year-old girl can't live in a home, experience love, have a full stomach, go to school because of abuse and poverty. Where's God's kingdom we speak of coming to earth? Where's his justice? Well, in this case, there's good news. Fortunately, World Hope has people that scour those areas of Phnom Penh looking for victims. They find Sri Rath and invite her to the rescue center we have. There she spends six months learning school skills, learning skills to survive, but more importantly, learning about a personal God that's not ashamed of her and learning that she's loved. But there's more. While this is going on, World Hope sends personnel to the village. The uncle is arrested, and the family is counseled that this wasn't Sri fault. This was the uncle's fault. And they are counseled to receive her back into the home. But there's probably some skeptics here saying, okay, that's all nice, but what happens? It could just happen again, couldn't it? Maybe so. Maybe the family has some more kids. They can't afford to keep all the kids, and others get sent away. But there's more good news. World Hope goes back to that village and puts a water well in the village. Now they have fresh water. There's less disease. They're able to be more productive. With more productivity, they're able to put food on the table. They're able to put the kids in school, and they're able to keep all the kids in home. But there's more good news. Because of the goodwill generated through the water well in this community, a Bible study is started in Sri Ross' home, and she and her family come to belief in faith in Jesus Christ. And as Paul Harvey used to say, that's the rest of the story, and that's good news. That's justice. So, the longer I live, the more convinced I am that the Bible is holistic It teaches us about belief and faith in Jesus Christ but it also teaches us about compassion a holistic gospel about justice flourishing people able to be the voice for those without a voice we need to advocate for those whom Jesus advocated so these are some of the signs the signs we see in the Bible and uh, the signs we see that should be in our life as we relate to a people around the world you know we make choices every day and I, I just pray that the choice you all make is to continue you have a great tradition in history of being people who stand up for those in need I just pray that you'll continue to do it I hope that you pray and think about supporting World hope you know we can't do it by ourselves um, you know when I was here this a few months ago it was like the coldest week of the the year right it was bitterly cold and there was ice and snow on the road and from here I went to Spooner and sure enough I was taking some curves in the back row and there was a little ice and slid right off the road. Well, luckily, there's a farmer that saw me and he hitched up his blind mule, Elmo, to pull me out. Well, he pulled me out and we stood away and he got ready and he goes, Pull Jake, pull. Well, nothing happened. He said, Pull Esther, pull. Nothing happened pull, Amos, pull. Still nothing happened. Finally, he yelled, pull, Elmo, pull, and with a giant tug, Elmo pulled the car right out of the ditch. Well, I was grateful, but a little perplexed, of course, and so I went back and talked to the farmer. I said, well, thank you so much, but, but why did you have to shout all those names first? He looked at me and said, listen, if Elmo thought he'd have to do it by himself, he wouldn't have even tried. <laughs> that really didn't happen. but. <laughs> so, we can't do it by ourselves. We have good intentions. We could do as much as we can. You have good intentions. You can do things. But we need to partner together. So I appreciate your help. There's some, there's some things on the back table if you look at some of the literature for World Hope. But I do thank you for this opportunity. We're going to close with a little video that talks about this rescue center, the story I shared with you, and then I'll leave it up to Pastor Mark. <laughs>
2: So we began the walk down that dusty road. My heart and mind could not comprehend what my eyes were seeing. There are wooden structures on each side of that road with white plastic chairs on a porch and children sitting in those chairs for sale. So the four of us joined hands on a corner. I had just started World Hope. World Hope consisted of me, a computer, and a desk, and a parsonage bedroom. The other two women, and the missionary. So here is this weak group, really, three old ladies and a tired old missionary. World Hope International believes that every child deserves a childhood free from sexual exploitation. And that God answers prayers and transforms lives. So we're not surprised that from the prayers of four people on a street corner in Cambodia, a vision took root. A vision that more than a decade later has touched the lives of more than 1,000 sexually trafficked and raped girls and helped them begin their journey towards healing and wholeness. Now a flourishing program, World Hope International's Assessment Center is the first and only center of its kind in Cambodia The Assessment Center combines two main functions that work cohesively. They are security and assessment. Security ensures that each victim receives protection in a safe and home-like environment. Assessment begins as the social workers and counselors work with victims to evaluate their physical, psychological, and medical needs. Every effort is made to reintegrate victims with their families or when this is not suitable, to find the long-term care provider that best meets their individual needs. As we celebrate the 10th anniversary of the assessment center, we realize that ours is a task that is never finished. There are more girls needing the refuge and healing offered behind our walls. Without an assessment center, the risk for survivors of returning to a community where they will remain vulnerable to being re-victimized is high. What World Hope is able to do is actually understand the needs of each individual and then uh, seek to refer to services that are gonna meet that individual's needs. It's a big job and a costly investment, but an investment that yields the priceless gift of lives and hopes restored. Please give generously and pray fervently Together, we have the power to ensure that the center stays open for years to come and that girls victimized by sexual exploitation and rape have the opportunity to live lives full of dignity and promise.
0: I want to thank Phil for sharing today and... um, there will be ways that you'll be able to get engaged in World Hope, as uh, in addition to today, and and he'll be at the table at the lobby at the uh, at the end of the service as well. But I'd like us to take an offering this morning for World Hope. If you're making a check out, or uh, please make it out to O'Claire Wesleyan Church. Everything that comes in this offering will go to World Hope. So I'm going to invite the ushers forward as we um, as we worship this morning. Yeah, you can go out there. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the fact that you have put in place ministries that absolutely make an incredible difference. And we just pray, God, that you will take what we give to you, that you would build and continue to support World Hope in a special way. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.